Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And on Monday, we leave for Upper Michigan. We're going up to Kinross, Michigan, the Fundamental Baptist Church. Dr. Tim Rader, pastor there, he's invited us to come up, and he said it's safe. They have not had one coronavirus case there in Kinross. And so we're looking forward to being with them. It'll be our first outward travel going to a church to minister, teaching the prophetic word of God in about three months. So we're going to be happy to get out. We've a bit stir crazy, but it's looking like it's going to be a great time. By the way, thank you to WBLW 88.1 on the FM dial, the Living Word Radio. They're the ones that carry our weekend broadcast. We're so thankful for that. They've been doing it for years. We certainly appreciate it. Looking forward to being with you there at the Fundamental Baptist Church in Kinross, Michigan. That'll be next weekend, June the 28th, 29th, and 30th, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. We'll study the prophetic Word of God. Well, our broadcast partners are standing by. If you'll give me the 90 minutes I always request, we'll take you to them. They'll give us the details behind the headlines that are unfolding in our world today. And the man who covers the geopolitical activities is Ken Timmerman. He's located in southern France, hoping that in the 1st of July he'll be able to travel back to the United States. But Ken, while you're there, gives you a great vantage point as to what's happening in our world. And I have heard that there's a a clash between India and China there at their border. A number of Indian soldiers have been killed and this is a uprising that is beginning, a conflict that we've not talked about. What can you tell us about this? Well, I don't think it's an uprising, Jimmy. I think this was an accident in a way. It was a, long, a, a, a very long disputed border up in the mountains between India and China. Uh, it's a wild, wild area. And uh, apparently there had been you know, some skirmishes that have taken place in the past couple of weeks, and the Indians sent uh, someone there to, to moderate. The Chinese thought he was a uh, you know, provocateur, and they started throwing stones at him. It was a very strange thing. It was, a, it was not, there was no gunfire. It was stones and pots and junk and, you know, throwing at each other sticks and logs and you name it, and they finally pushed these Indian soldiers off a cliff. Wow. Well, indeed, that's a very interesting development. Before we leave talking about China, we've got a report that they increased their arsenal, their nuclear weapons of mass destruction arsenal, just this last year, about 30 new warheads. Uh, That doesn't sound good as we look at the overall picture for the world, does it? Well, this is a, it's an interesting development because the Chinese have announced it. Normally, uh, they keep their warhead production pretty quiet, pretty secretive. Uh, in fact, there, are, there have long been rumors that the Chinese have as much as 10 times as many warheads as the 300 or so that they've declared publicly 
to possess. They have long tunnels, uh, deep tunnels beneath Beijing and other places where they're believed to stockpile additional warheads. But uh, this is an interesting development because they have announced it, and, and what they're showing is that they are modernizing their nuclear warheads with new technology that they have uh, acquired you know, over the past two decades. Uh, so they are quite likely to have significantly more powerful, more accurate, and more reliable warheads than the ones that they have had previously in their stockpile. And it may well mean the reason behind not wanting to get together with Russia, the United States, and the nonproliferation nuclear treaty concepts and talks they're going to be having. That may be a part of that as well. Uh, Turkey, our good old buddy Tayyip Erdogan over there, his military has action now on three Middle Eastern fronts. We're talking about Iraq, we're talking about Syria and Libya, and now I understand they're adding Yemen. Uh, this is a part of his plan, is it not, to revive the old Ottoman Empire? Well, it, it, it's quite interesting to see that Erdogan feels increasingly bold, comfortable in taking these quite aggressive steps outside of Turkey's immediate sphere of influence. Uh, Yemen is really a stretch uh, for Turkey, uh, but they're going there clearly to oppose Saudi Arabia. What they've done is to support a breakaway group that is working together with the Muslim Brotherhood, whom the Saudis now are fighting against. And so they've taken these Sunni Muslim groups fighting the Houthis, the Houthis who are Shias, uh, backed by Iran. And, and so now you have three groups in Yemen who are fighting amongst themselves, not just the Houthis and Sunni-Saudi-backed alliance, but those two plus this group that the Turks are now backing to fight everybody else. And they are allied with the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood is the, is the mothership, if you wish, that Erdogan has been using for the past decade to sail into those foreign waters to expand his empire worldwide. Yes, and also I understand we've often talked about uh, Turkey there in Libya, that uh, Turkey's blue homeland doctrine is uh, going to take shape in Libya. Now, first of all, what is the blue homeland doctrine, and what does this move mean? Well, what they're seeking to do is to expand their domination of the eastern Mediterranean. This is what they're calling the blue homeland, and to keep Israel... Greece and Cyprus from either prospecting for natural gas and oil offshore or even from shipping natural gas in particular from Israel up to Europe. Now, this is completely illegal, right? But remember, we've been following this on this program. Very few people have. This goes back to roughly last November, last December, when Erdogan inked an agreement with the government in Tripoli, Libya, the Muslim Brotherhood government in Tripoli, Libya, where they uh, essentially established a Turkish maritime zone off the coast of Libya that, that essentially cut off uh, Israel, Greece, and Crete from Europe. Now, as I say, this is completely illegal, but it shows Erdogan's attempt to dominate the eastern Mediterranean. And let's not forget that Israel, over the past decade, has discovered absolutely massive oil and especially natural gas deposits 
offshore in the Leviathan field, the Tamar field, off the shore of Israel. They, they are now supplying Egypt with gas. They just opened up a pipeline to Jordan a couple of months ago to supply them with natural gas. Uh, so Israel has become finally, finally, a energy independent and a natural gas exporter. And this is one of the things that Turkey is trying to meddle with. He's trying to prevent. Uh, I think, again, he's going to have a hard time if he tries to enforce this maritime exclusion zone. But that's what it's all about. Let's uh, focus on Iraq just for a moment. Islamic State, their terrorist organization, uh, is endeavoring to try to get back into Iraq, but the people there are saying that cannot be allowed to happen. Give us some details. Well, the Iraqi government now estimates that there are approximately two to 3,000 ISIS fighters back in Iraq. Remember, Iraq was supposed to have been cleansed of ISIS by December of 2017. It was one of the first victories of President Trump in the war on terror, uh, where he essentially crushed the Islamic Caliphate in a matter of months when they'd been fighting uh, under Obama for five years uh, and just expanding their territory. But, so now they're back. They do not have territory. They have not established a caliphate. President Trump has said that he, he is not going to allow them to do that. But they do have a foothold in Iraq. The Iraqi government is worried about this. And uh, the new government, uh, which is led by the former intelligence chief of Iraq, a guy named Mustafa al-Kadimi, is relatively friendly to the United States, relatively cool to Iran, although he's been accepted by the Iranian government. And he is, I believe, going to work with the United States to uh, crack down on these ISIS strongholds to make sure that they cannot coalesce and become a territorial threat as they had been in the past. But I understand the United States and Israel are both encouraging Europe. They must get involved and join in the fight against the Iranian regime. Do you think they'll do that? And what significance could they make if they did? This is a tough call because the uh, Europeans have consistently sided with Iran against the United States. They have consistently preferred to do business with Iran in defiance of the United States, and we have never uh, really made them pay a significant price for doing that. We have put sanctions on to prevent investment in Iran, and, and the Europeans have grudgingly agreed to abide by those sanctions because uh, they don't want to pay the price of violating them. But now what's up in the air is bringing back the former United Nations sanctions against Iran because Iran has pretty much broken out of, of the 2015 nuclear deal. And that nuclear deal inclu included a provision that would allow them to recommence buying conventional weaponry on the international marketplace by October of this year, October 2020. And the U.S. says, uh-uh, we don't want that to happen. Uh, we think the arms embargo in Iran should be continued indefinitely. Russia and China are saying, no, we want to sell them arms. And I would remind our listeners that immediately after the nuclear deal went into effect in July of 2015, Qasem Soleimani, who is luckily no longer with us, immediately flew to Moscow to buy more weapons. So the Russians and the Chinese have never respected an arms embargo. The U.S. now is hoping that the Europeans will join us at the United Nations to reimpose these snapback sanctions uh, from the nuclear deal. I think it's, it's a toss-up whether they're going to cooperate with us or continue to play ball with the Iranians. 
Jesus Christ said in the Olivet Discourse, there'll be wars and rumors of wars, nations against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Do you wonder why I need to have a weekly conversation with Ken Timmerman? He gives us all the report, the details behind what the headline is calling for, and that's why Ken is essential to our broadcast team. Ken, thank you so very much, my good friend. Hope everything works out for your coming back home in July, and if not, we'll continue to talk with you there in southern France next week. We shall see. We shall see. Thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan has a Middle East news update. That's all ahead for us right here on Prophecy Today. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're going to continue as we talk with our broadcast partners to get information looking at the details behind the headlines on current events which may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. You may ask yourself sometimes, why do we hear so many political discussions when we listen to Prophecy Today weekend? Well, the political does set the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled, and that's exactly why we do what we're doing. I told you we'd talk with David Dolan, his Middle East news update, which is essential. For each and every one of us who are students of Bible prophecy, so we're going to David right now. David, it looks like the Jews worldwide are now moving to Israel in unprecedented droves, as it's prophesied over there in the book of Jeremiah, the political setting the stage for the prophetic. Talk to me about this incoming group of Jews from all over the world on this Aliyah, or immigration. 
Well, Jimmy, the combination of the COVID virus and the economic crisis that's resulted in that has definitely led to a surge of anti-Semitic attacks, in particular on Jews in the New York area, in France, and other areas. So all of that combined uh, is causing many, many uh, Jews first around the world to think again about Israel, the Jewish homeland. And as one French Jew told France Television yesterday, I happened to catch it, they did a report on this uh, immigration, Jimmy. That's how big it's becoming. And uh, he said, you know, when the flights were canceled to Israel from Paris and from other parts of France, then our family really became concerned. This is the first time we've never had the chance to just get on a plane and go back to the Jewish homeland. Of course, it's only a four-hour flight from France. It's pretty close by and all of Europe. And he said, now we're thinking of moving there. Well, the applications for immigration have shot way up, as you just said, uh, many coming from the United States. And as we discussed a few weeks ago, there are some leading rabbis in the New York area are saying they're not only moving themselves to Israel, but they want their entire congregations to follow them. And most of them being Orthodox will do that. They will obey that command and move to Israel. So they are preparing for hundreds of thousands of Jews to be streaming in over the next few years. And of course, as you and I know, that the Lord will restore his Jewish people to their ancient homeland in the last days from the four corners of the earth and indeed Jews streaming back from everywhere on this planet. There are global reports, David, that Israel is among the top two or three that have been able to hold down the spread of the coronavirus. So that's good. And this, of course, will enhance the desire of Jews to make their way out of hot spots and get back into the land that God has promised them. Well, talk to me about the Palestinian Authority, even as the Jews are making their way in to Israel to take up their habitation, the Palestinian Authority threatening Israel, they're using their media operation, and even the music. I understand that the mothers are teaching their daughters uh, to sing songs with them calling for the destruction of the Jewish people and the Jewish state. Well, yes, Jimmy, it's rather ominous. For the past few weeks, Palestinian state TV, there's two uh, channels that they control, and then there's uh, several independent uh, stations, but the state-sponsored ones have been replaying a song that became popular in 2000, the year 2000. I remember hearing it myself. It's in Arabic, so I didn't understand all the words, but I knew what the theme was, and it is to go out create violence, attack Jews, and go to war, basically. It's a call to war, basically. It was aired by the Arafat then controlled PA in the year 2000 a number of times, and now it's reappeared after many years of not being aired. Uh, it's back, and that, of course, is a violation of the Oslo Peace Accords, but then the Accords have been basically ripped up by the Palestinians, and there's no security cooperation anymore, as we've talked about, and things are really, really dire in that area, but they do appear, as we've been discussing the past couple months, to be preparing for a major violent offensive in response to the proposed Israeli annexation of 30% of Judea and Samaria. So uh, we're getting ready for that. Suicide bombers in particular are being prepared. We know that. The intelligence is following all this. So preparing for a wave of trouble there, as, of course, the situation overall with Iran and Hezbollah, and that remains uh, very tense as well. And speaking of annexation, King Abdullah, 
has refused to even accept a telephone call from the Prime Minister Netanyahu. He's not talking because of this annexation. I mean, that's heating up there, that longest border for the state of Israel with Jordan. Well, it is, and as we've discussed, quietly the king may actually prefer Israel to take those areas that are clearly Jewish, dominated by Jews. That's about 30% of Judea and Samaria, a good portion of that just north and south and east of Jerusalem, uh, in the settlement blocks there. He would really quietly rather see that happen, I think, because then a Palestinian state could be set up that he could have uh, some say over and that sort of thing. But uh, with the radicals dominant in the Palestinian world right now, Hamas and Islamic Jihad, and now, as we've said, the PA reverting to its old pre-peace days, uh, we have the recipe for conflict. Uh, the king knows that, again, 60% of his people are of Palestinian origin, and the Muslim Brotherhood's very strong in his country. His peace treaty with Israel's always been questioned, his father's, really, his late father's, but that he's upheld. And uh, so it's a bad situation. He's trying to balance all that out, but uh, not a good sign at all, Jimmy. And again, we could see something approaching major war sparked off by this annexation. But then again, with Iran, uh, we don't really even need an excuse. They just want to see Israel destroyed, and they'll use any reason to pursue that. We do know that Turkey in the Middle Eastern region is very active militarily in three or four different Middle Eastern fronts. And we're watching that very closely. But at the same time, Tayyip Erdogan has sent lots of money, lots of personnel into the old city of Jerusalem, bought up property, set up organization, financing, number of events that are unfolding because the Turkish official has just recently this week called for Muslims to rise up and free Jerusalem. Now, this will be a part of a prophetic scenario as we see Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2 coming better into focus. Jerusalem, the center of controversy. Looks like that's what Tyre Perdoan is setting in place, does it not? It does, and it's been fairly clear over the past decade or so that he wants to reconstitute the great Ottoman Empire that Turkey led for centuries, uh, dominating the Middle East all the way from the middle of North Africa, where, of course, as you've been talking about in recent weeks, uh, the conflict in Libya has been growing, and uh, Turkey's direct involvement in that has been growing, sending their own uh, forces now uh, down through Syria to Libya. We now see them active in Yemen, where they're supporting, again, the uh, forces that are against Saudi Arabia. They're supporting Iran, basically, in that conflict. Uh, that's fairly new that they've been doing that, uh, using Qatar, the Gulf country of Qatar, that's their ally as a as a wedge there. And then, of course, Jerusalem, as you said. Well, if you're a Muslim, and they are, if you want to be the leader of the Muslim world, which they do again, as they were for a few centuries, then you've got to focus on Jerusalem, Al-Quds. You have to focus on Haram al-Sharif, the noble sanctuary we know is the Temple Mount, because, of course, those are very important to the Muslims. And the center of Jewish life and sense at the bottom of all this is opposition to Israel and a desire to see Israel destroyed, as Iran shares, uh, then taking Jerusalem for Islam 
getting Israel out of there is an essential thing. And we're now seeing Turkey join that struggle, making this jihad war against Israel all that much greater, Jimmy, and all that much dangerous, more dangerous. But again, the good book told us it would be this way in the last days. I like what David says, the good book, the word of God, the Bible itself said all this will come to pass. Quickly, we've got about 15 seconds. Trump peace plan is setting in place a possibility that a number of Jewish heritage sites, like the cave for the patriarchs, the death burial location, Rachel's tomb, and even the burial site for Joseph may be controlled by the Palestinians if this annexation goes forward under the Trump peace plan. Well, Jimmy, on Thursday, the heads of the Judea and Samaria Settlers Councils actually came out against the peace plan, essentially, not fully, but noting that uh, there would be some 19 Jewish communities that would be cut off and uh, under uh, Arab control overall. And, as you said, a lot of Jewish holy sites in Judea and Samaria also would no longer have any Israeli involvement or security cooperation over those. That is something they very much oppose So another roadblock for uh, Netanyahu to overcome in getting this annexation enacted. David Dolan with his Middle East News Update. Dear friends, it's essential. We have this report on a weekly basis to stay on top of how developing events in the Middle East are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. David, great report. Thank you, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I've got Winky Madad standing by. We'll continue to talk about these heritage sites. I just gave you three. There's about 6,000 that they could be concerned about as well. Winky Madad up next here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where we are doing our hour and a half, 90-minute program on a weekly basis so that you can understand from around the world with our broadcast partners giving us the information behind the headlines and the details of all that's going on, what really is happening as we see this world setting the stage for the prophetic truths that are found in God's Word to be fulfilled. Well, Winky Madad is the man we go to when we want to know what is happening in Israel from an Israeli perspective. Now, he is our broadcast partner who is Jewish, and number two, he's a citizen of the Jewish state of Israel. 
And Winky, I know there's been some concern among those in the Jewish settlements, the communities in Judea and Samaria, which is actually where you live, that because of the Trump peace plan, they see it as very dangerous. I understand some 6,000 sites of historic and or archaeological significance can be found in Judea and Samaria, and the Trump peace plan puts the Palestinians in control of those areas. That is dangerous, is it not? Potentially, yes, it could be. I think I, I want and I will try to be fair to Mr. Trump and Mr. Kushner and Mr. Greenblatt and Mr. Friedman, who all had parts to develop this plan. According to the plan, if everything goes okay, what you said might and possibly and even probably might take place. On the other hand, there are conditions for going ahead in the peace negotiations and perhaps resolving the situation by establishing an Arab-Palestine state over about 70% of the territory if some major conditions are fulfilled. One of them is a cessation of terror. Another is uh, building up Palestinian Authority society. Another one is stopping the pay-for-slay terrorist grants and stipends they get. And a few other things. In other words, the conditions that have been placed before the Arabs, and which have already been rejected, Jimmy. Remember, we I think we spoke about this already in February, that Mr. Abbas already announced a thousand times no, and they have not moved ahead. So what we're talking about is a situation that, if it takes place, there'll be peace like between, I don't know, United States and Canada. And then these communities and, as you said, these major historical, religious, and cultural sites will not be under full Israeli rule, but we can visit them. Uh, is it potentially dangerous? Even in that situation, yes. Will it happen? I don't think so. But on the other side of that coin, you may be able to visit them. But if there are these sites, which are actually key to preserving the history of the Jewish people, if the Palestinians have control, they can go into these locations and tear down these historical sites. So it doesn't matter if you can visit them or not, does it? Yes. On the other hand... Uh, if that happens, Israel has freedom of movement to stop that as soon as possible. And again, as I put to you and to our listeners, the Trump plan of peace to prosperity is a game changer in that it sets out a new vision of peace in which the Arabs of this country accept demands and conditions and restrictions that they have not until yet have accepted. If they accept those, then everything will be okay. We have nothing to fear. But I am pretty sure that they will continue not to accept them. And so, as Mr. Friedman said, sometime in the near future, Israel can go ahead and begin to apply its rule of law over portions of Judea and Samaria until perhaps the Arabs wake up and say, all right, we finally yield. If not, 
we continue to move ahead. Well, Winky, let me take a, a, a side trip here and look at a couple of other issues that uh, I think we need to talk about. One of them would be annexation. And, of course, this peace plan, the Trump peace plan, calls for Israel being able to annex Judea and Samaria and also the Jordan Valley as well. How does that look? Is it going to happen in July or not? I'm not quite sure. The blue and white party are beginning to, how shall we say, act up. Uh, And I don't know exactly what the timetable is or whether the map committee is proceeding or whether Netanyahu judges Mr. Trump to be reelectable or not. All these are factors. But I just want to point out, and I think this will clarify some issues that we have been speaking about for years, about legal or illegal. Annexing is when one state takes over the territory of another state. In Judea and Samaria, there was never a state. It was part of the original mandate for Palestine that was all to be the Jewish national home until the British began to backtrack. In 1947, the United Nations said, okay, we'll partition it, which the Arabs did not accept and went to war. And so when Israel came into possession of those territories in 1967, it was not a state. It was something undefined, something with no political apparatus or administration except an illegal annexation by the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. So Israel would not be annexing Judea and Samaria. It would be extending its law, extending its sovereignty, reuniting uh, the mandate area that was supposed to be the Jewish national home. But it would not be annexing. See, folks, that's why I go to Winky Madad when we have these issues that we want to discuss with somebody who can explain it very simply to us. Winky, that was, that was an outstanding explanation. However, I have heard that the prime minister is talking about another election. Is he serious? Most of the time, he's serious. Uh, part of the time, and we've been over this before, politics in Israel is probably on par with basketball and soccer as the national sport. And people naturally tend to maneuver even when they don't have to. I remind our listeners that this is a coalition government, not of parties that went to election and have similar political platforms. Blue and white party led by Mr. Gantz was seeking to upend Mr. Netanyahu, throw him out, and replace him, and he could. So this is sort of a relationship between uh, a married man and his mother-in-law, in the sense of there's a little bit of respect, a little bit of hostility, and a lot of uneasiness. <laughs> and so Mr. Netanyahu is upset at some of the statements coming out of uh, blue and white. And I guess he holds above their head the idea of elections. The last poll that I saw, Jimmy, about a week ago, had the Likud around 40 seats. So that being a gambling political man, he would say, I have everything to gain and very little to lose. And every time he raises the issue, he's trying to put Mr. Gantz and company back in line. 
Very, very interested. Uh, between a man and his mother-in-law, the relationship. <laughs> I love that, Winky. Hey, thank you so much for being available for us. We need your commentary on what is happening in that very unique part of the world, the region of the Middle East, and in particular, Israel. Winky, thank you so much. Appreciate it. We'll have another conversation, I'm sure, not too far down the road. Jimmy, again, thank you very much for having me on the program. Do well on your travels that I uh, understand are coming up. And uh, to you and our listeners, goodbye. Very important conversation with Winky Madad. Always great to have Winky at the broadcast table. Well, there's another very important conversation we need to have, and that's with a man who covers another key region of the world. We're talking about John Rood, who covers the European Union, having lived in that area in Brussels, Belgium, actually. For over 30 years, he knows everything that may well be going on and can keep us updated with the details behind the headlines. John, great to have you along, and let me get right underway so many items we want to be able to cover with you. Looks like the chief of foreign policy for the EU says that annexation will have a significant consequence for EU-Israeli ties if the Israelis go ahead with it. What do we know about that? Yes, the EU High Commissioner for Foreign Affairs, Joseph Borrell, this has been in the news consistently that the EU policy towards Israel annexation of some of the territories would uh, bring significant consequences to them. And he's even gone as far to say to put pressure that it will not happen. And there's a problem in the EU that they need a unanimous decision by all 27 member states, which they know they will not have concerning Israel, particularly in the cases of Hungary, Austria, and the Czech Republic. So we'll see eventually. Watch the situation, because the EU wants to make these unilateral decisions by themselves. They take a strong form in foreign policy, but the wrench in the issues are the uh, unanimous decisions. So that would be something that could be changed. John, speaking of foreign policy, United States and Israel are urging Europe to get involved and join the fight against the Iranian regime. Uh, Basically, they're holding back. Why is this the case? Well, the pressure is on because Ayatollah Khomeini has been very vocal. He's been speaking Israel in terms of, quote, final solution, cancerous tumor. The situation with Iran has not changed. They have the advanced nuclear program, military terrorist campaigns against Israel, working through all its proxy groups throughout the entire Middle East. And so... The EU's in a real bind here because especially the U.N. arms embargo is set to expire in October. So the United States will continue to put pressure on the situation that Europe will come to its senses, take a stronger stand against Iran, particularly that the arms embargo will come free. I understand also that Borrell, we were just talking about him, he's the chief of foreign policy for the European Union, going to have a meeting with Mike Pompeo, who is the Secretary of State. And Borrell has already put out the fact that they will not, the European Union will not ally itself against China. Now, this is a very interesting development. 
Yes, uh, the the twenty seven foreign ministers of all the nations uh, had a, have a video conference with U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and so that's a highly highly influential. But uh, Borrell, as the head, is really saying the EU is not going to take sides in the U.S. China c- conflict. But really, they do take sides. They take their own side. Uh, the EU is always given the impressions of being partners with everyone, just like uh, Iran, as we just mentioned. Uh, but it's still all the internal interest and the positioning on the world stage, which is really their main concern. And so they'll continue with this idea to be friends with all, but that's not necessarily how the world works. As most of you who are listening to this conversation between me and John Rood recognize NATO as the military branch of the European Union. They want their own military, but right now NATO fills that slot. And there is word there's a push towards NATO to deal with and not ignore the Turkish problem, uh, which is going on between Turkey and, say, a French peoples, etc., there in Libya. What's happening there, John? Yes, the French have come to the forefront, filling the gap of uh, what's left by NATO internal issues. Turkey is taking advantage of that. There's a lot of crisis in Libya right now. France has had uh, altercations with Turkey, apparently breaking uh, uh, weapons embargoes and so forth. And they're really making a cry as well that Turkey and the problem with the situation with NATO needs to be dealt with. This is not how allied nations work together. But again, it's France, and they're working on coming to the forefront in the military of the EU, especially since the U.K. has now left. And on the other side of that power structure there in the European Union would be Germany. Angela Merkel, who's the Chancellor of Germany, pushing for the European Union to go global. Uh, Boy, this sounds like prophecy. Absolutely, absolutely. And this, again, as we said, the EU concern for the global stage and their global role and to have... uh, be seen as a, a form of international governance. They believe that their system would be best for the entire world. So their statement was that uh, the world really needs to heed Europe's strong voice. The EU is pressing to have a global role, and Chancellor Merkel said there should be more EU and more places more often. So they keep working in that direction. That's a very interesting Statement from Angela Merkel as it relates to Daniel chapters 2 and 7. John, a key report, man. Thank you so much. You were concise. You were targeted right on what we needed to know. God bless you, my friend. We'll have another conversation next week. God bless you all as well. Well, we're going to bring now to this microphone a broadcast partner. I say broadcast partner. Well, he comes with us to help us understand some issues often here on Prophecy Today. But every other week, I'm on Stand in the Gap Today with Sam Rohr, who is the spokesperson for that broadcast, both radio and television, and a former state senator in Pennsylvania. He's also the president of the American Pastors Network, and with that political and spiritual background, thought it would be very good to go to Sam to find out about the recent Supreme Court ruling on the rights of gays in the workplace. 
Sam, was this somewhat of a surprise to you, this decision? Uh, Jimmy, actually it was, and it was not a pleasant surprise. It was a very um, disappointing surprise for a couple of reasons. Number one, the court makeup of uh, Supreme Court Justice Gorsuch surprised everyone, reality, by voting with the uh, left-leaning segment of the court. That was a surprise. Secondly, uh, the decision that was actually made relative to deciding to add into the law, the 1964 Civil Rights Act, add into the law on an equivalent basis those who personal choice lean to the gay lifestyle, LGBTQ or XYZ, whatever it is, it's basically an open-ended definition. That was a surprise. That was a problem, too, Jimmy, for a number of reasons. Morally, obviously, we as Christians have a problem with that. But constitutionally, the court did exactly what the court ought not to do, and they made law. They did what Congress has attempted to many times over the last years, and that was to take and add LGBTQ uh, gay rights uh, classification into the Human Relations Act uh, and to include it along with the God-given aspects of age and race and so forth. Congress could never get it passed, but this court chose to make law. That is very, very disturbing. Well, of course, it's so disturbing because that portion of the governmental operation, you have the executive branch, the legislative branch, and then the uh, the judicial branch. They're the judicial branch to make decisions of what the Constitution says on any particular issue. And not necessarily what they want it to say, but what it really says. I mean, this is one of the major problems in the decision, is it not? Well, absolutely it is. And I think at the heart of it, I mean, we have a constitutional issue based on what you just said, and it's exactly correct. And, and, and even in the dissenting opinion by the three, it was a 63 ruling, the dissenting opinions cited the very fact that the court had no decision, had no authority, let's put it that way, no authority to make law and to accomplish in a decision of nine justices what an entire Congress has not been able to do over a period of many years. So constitutionally, a major abridgment and a usurpation of power. Uh, that has been a problem. But, you know, Jim, I have another concern about this, in that, once again, here it is. We have the court, an, an entity of government, of our official United States government, weighing in and declaring, in effect, that what God says about human sexuality and male and female changed it to be what man would want it to be, in defiance of what God says. And, and I really think, as we talk about end-time things and prophetical elements of it, I was most disheartened, I suppose, uh, not just the constitutional aspect, but here again, one more time, where the official entities of our government have decided to rule against what God says and to make what is wrong right and what is right wrong. That is my greatest concern, and I think it takes and adds one more element on top of all that we're seeing in this country as another reason, not that God needs it, 
But God's hand of judgment is on us as a nation, and I say right in the middle of all that we're having with COVID plus everything else, you have our highest court of the land in an affront to the Constitution, higher, in a higher way, an affront to God himself. I do know, Sam, that your ministry stand in the gap today, radio and television, and then your responsibility as president of the American Pastors Network looks at all the issues from a constitutional perspective and then also from a biblical perspective. So I want to do that with you. Let's start with the political first. From that perspective, does not this cause some real problems? Is it not dangerous, for example, for the small business person? Well, it absolutely is. And even though Neil Gorsuch, the the Supreme Court justice that gave the primary decision there, um, even though he couched his language somewhat in the context of business, there is grave concern on the part of many, and I share it, that by so doing, even though it may be, they might say, limited under certain cases, which are the language that he used, to businesses, meaning that it may not apply to churches or it may not apply perhaps to uh, religious organizations. Some are saying that the, the, that the uh, current law, in effect, the Religious uh, um, Protection Act, may, in fact, preclude this from directly affecting ministries, churches, and so forth. But I would submit that, no, it doesn't, because of what they did uh, is much broader than that, and it absolutely is going to open the door, uh, I think, for um, negative implications on, on churches and ministries, but most specifically, first and foremost, businesses. It does not seem like an intelligent statement to say that this is not going to affect ministries and churches as well. I don't understand a supposedly smart man making that kind of statement because overall this ruling is really making decisions that it will affect both ministry and churches. Do you not agree with that? Uh, I do agree, and I, I think, uh, Jimmy, you know as well as I do from being inside here on, on, the, on the legislative side of the equation that once a court rules in this kind of a case and actually does what Congress could not do, on the broad aspect of the meaning of the Civil Rights case, that uh, Civil Rights Act, that I can almost assure you that it will, like insects to a light, is going to attract lawsuits, and the court will be appealed to on the basis that if it's good enough for business, it's good enough for anybody else. They are attempting, the court here has attempted to take this issue, which is very clearly a moral issue, and have attempted to take by what they did and make it a civil rights issue, and it's not a civil rights issue. The issue of human sexuality, just like human marriage, is a moral issue, and God reserves the designing and the defining of that to himself, not the court. And so that's why I say anybody who says, no, 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 don't worry, this won't affect churches, I think are just not operating in the real world. From a political perspective, and you have much background in that arena, how could this Supreme Court ruling be overturned, or is there a possibility that is going to happen? You know what? I don't know how you overturn a Supreme Court ruling, other than any more than how do you overturn Roe versus Wade, or overturn the throwing out of the Ten Commandments or prayer at school. 
Um, this, this was a momentous decision in that kind of a case, and I don't see, you know, you don't appeal to anybody uh, when the Supreme Court rules. This was, uh, this was a very, very critical and big decision. I don't see an immediate turnaround on it. Well, then, as president of the American Pastors Network, how are you advising your pastors of the churches across America? What should they do next? Well, that's a good question. Now, from that perspective, I think that uh, I think that churches and pastors and others ought to be doing what, in many cases, they have not been doing for a long time, and that is more boldly preaching and applying biblical principles and what God's moral law says to the issues of the day. I think part of the reason that we as a nation have gotten to this point where we have courts and politicians and others who have no fear of God in ruling in opposition to what God says is, in fact, because our pulpits and our churches, by and large, have been silent and have not been clear on matters of truth. And that, that uh, so where we, what should we do? It's like anything else. We need a, we need a truth reset and a reclaiming of our dependency on the authority of God's Word, and it's got to come from the pulpit. It has to be put into the effect of, of the lives of every person who claims uh, and bears the name of Jesus Christ. And I would suggest a couple of passages of Scripture, Genesis chapter 19, the book of Luke chapter 17, where it says, Jesus speaking, as it was in the days of Lot. You also might want to read through Romans chapter 1. There's three weeks of passages pastors may want to look into and consider teaching and preaching from the pulpit. Sam, praise the Lord for your ministry, for your outreach in radio and television, for your leadership in this American Pastors Network. Keep fighting the fight, good buddy. It looks like we have a fight to the end that seemingly is helping us to recognize we're in the last days. Would you not agree? Amen. I agree, and I am looking forward to the soon return of Jesus Christ. And amen and amen. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate the conversation. I'll see you on the radio next week. Thank you, Jimmy. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we move in to the last half hour of the 90 minutes I've asked you for. I'll be talking with David James. We're going to continue from a spiritual perspective this Supreme Court ruling and what the churches should probably be doing. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung at Broadcast Central here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'd love for you to go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There you will find my poll question on the left-hand column on the home page. If you'll scroll down, here's the question today. Do you believe that the recent Supreme Court decision on gay rights is legislation, not interpretation of the Constitution, and thus the stage being set for the fulfillment of the statement by Jesus in Luke chapter 17, where he says, as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now that's the poll question. Please answer it if you will. We would appreciate it so very much. This weekend, we're not going to be preaching in any local church, but we're headed out for northern Michigan. We'll be up at the Fundamental Baptist Church in Ken Ross, Michigan, 
and that's the church pastored by Dr. Tim Rader, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, June 28, 29, and 30. I want to thank WBLW 88.1 on the FM dial for covering our program and giving us an opportunity to promote the study of Bible prophecy at the Fundamental Baptist Church there in Ken Ross, Michigan. Hope to see you then. Come join us for that study. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I have a weekly conversation that I hope and pray will be of assistance to you as you try to get a biblical perspective on the issues that we discuss so you'll know how to continue your daily walk with the Lord. This time we're going to be focusing on why believers should be concerned about the latest Supreme Court ruling. However, David, recently we've been responding to quite a few listeners' emails, which I think is really helpful. And so I would like to deal with another one that we've received concerning what seems to be an increasing frequency of events like some mentioned in prophetic passages of Scripture. Please explain. Well, this email raises an interesting question, Jimmy, and I'm guessing many listeners may have the same one. And our listener wrote this. Do you think the events we're seeing that are setting the stage for the fulfillment of biblical prophecy are happening in closer succession than they were in the past? And he goes on to say, I believe that the faster pace of events in the second half of the tribulation period is a sign of the soon return of Jesus Christ. So if the events are happening in quicker succession today, could this mean that the rapture is closer and possibly right at our doorstep? So I think, Jimmy, that I think that there are several things to consider. Uh, One is that there could be an acceleration of events prior to the rapture, but since the rapture itself is an imminent signless event, then, I don't think we can say that an acceleration must absolutely happen. And in connection with this, I think there could just as easily be a relative calm after an acceleration of events that could last weeks or months or even years. So there could be several of these cycles of speeding up and slowing down prior to the rapture. And then finally, I'd say this, since everyone has a cell phone and there's satellite technology with eyes everywhere, combined with 24-hour news networks with reporters around the world, I think there could be a perception of an acceleration, even though there may or may not be. But we know this, no matter what, we're a day closer to hearing that trumpet sound than we were yesterday. Amen. Praise the Lord. And let's keep listening for that sound. David, let's uh, get back now to our main topic for today. As I discussed earlier with Sam Rohr on Monday, the Supreme Court ruled in a case connected with the Civil Rights Act that has a lot of people in the Christian community very much concerned. So I wanted to dig into this more with you as well. Well, I didn't have a chance to listen to your discussion with Sam, so I hope there isn't too much overlap. But our direction today has to do with the implications that this Supreme Court ruling has for churches and other ministries. The reason that this ruling should be of concern is that it seems to represent a further departure from biblical principles that were a foundation for much of our legal system, what is right and wrong, ethically and morally. Now, some people say you can't legislate morality, but the fact is our laws reflect the 
ethics and morality of both legislators and the electorate. And so there are consequences for breaking those laws. That means that there is, in some sense, a legislating of morality. Now, one problem the Church faces is that elected officials are passing laws that contradict biblical principles, and this has been accelerating, especially over the last 50 years. Another problem is that the Supreme Court justices are appointed for life. They aren't elected officials, and their sole responsibility is to either uphold or strike down laws based on their constitutionality. And they aren't supposed to be legislating from the bench, but that seems to be happening more frequently over time. Uh, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri said yesterday, I believe, he called it a seismic decision that changes the scope, meaning, and text of the Civil Rights Act. So, Jimmy, many are concerned that this ruling will come into direct conflict with First Amendment issues and that believers may get into trouble with the law because of deeply held religious convictions. You know, David, uh, one surprise for me, and I think for many conservatives, was that the major opinion was written by Neil Gorsuch. He was a Trump appointee who was hailed by many when the appointment took place as also being a conservative and an originalist, not a progressive or an activist judge who would try to legislate there from the bench, which you've been talking about. Well, the National Law Journal website had an article that carried the title, Gorsuch, Alito, and Kavanaugh Tangle Over Textualism in Major Win for LGBT Workers. So the point of contention apparently has to do with the difference between what's called textualism and originalism, although they are related. And I don't want to get into the weeds, and I'm obviously not a legal scholar, but as I understand it, here's what we're talking about. Originalism is a philosophy of jurisprudence that says that laws must be in harmony with the original intent of the framers of the Constitution, whereas textualism has to do with the meaning of words within laws and legal opinions. And while both tend to be conservative approaches, sometimes they can conflict with one another, depending on how they're applied. That seems to be what happened here. And this is much simplified, but as I understand it, Gorsuch's argument applied textualism by saying that the Civil Rights Act prohibits discrimination with regard to things related to the issue of sex, but in today's world, that would include gender identification and sexual orientation and not just biological sex. So according to him, the issue is discrimination, however sex might be understood, even if it's different today than it was in 1964. And it's this that poses a problem, Jimmy, for conservative evangelicals, because our definition of sex has not changed since 1964, and we hold the biblical view that sex means biological sex, and so marriage should only be between a man and a woman. Well, that brings us then directly into Justice Alito's dissenting opinion and why he and two other justices took this ruling by the Supreme Court as a bad idea. Well, that article I referred to on the National Law Journal website also had the following header under the title. It said, Monday's landmark win for LGBT workers revealed intense disagreements within the court's conservative wing. Justice Samuel Alito called the majority decision written by Justice Neil Gorsuch breathtaking in its arrogance. And the article went on to say that Justice Alito's dissent focused on the ordinary meaning of the statute's words back in 1964 when it was written, and then it quoted Alito and said, if every single living American had been 
surveyed in 1964, it would have been hard to find any who thought that discrimination because of sex meant discrimination because of sexual orientation, not to mention gender identity or a concept that was essentially unknown at the time. And Alito also pointed out that in 1964, homosexuality was thought to be a mental disorder and sex reassignment surgeries weren't performed until two years later in 1966. Then Justice Kavanaugh agreed with Alito, but he applied a slightly different approach, saying that the majority had taken a literalist, not a textualist approach to the language in Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. And he argued this. He said, you can't simply split statutory phrases into their component words, look up each in a dictionary, then mechanically put them together again, as the majority opinion mistakenly does. So, Jimmy, in other words, Kavanaugh is arguing along the same lines that we would apply to studying the Bible correctly. And it's not just enough uh, to look up the meaning of individual words. What matters is what the author meant in context at the time that he wrote it. And that is very key. Well, actually, though, this this brings up another important point for believers here in this country, and that is that much of the Constitution actually was written with biblical principles in mind. And, of course, the Bible has a lot to say about this subject. And that's right, Jimmy. Of course, that's absolutely right. This doesn't mean that we think that all the framers of the Constitution were born-again Christians or that America is necessarily a Christian nation today. But as I referred to earlier, it does mean that the Word of God provided an ethical and moral foundation upon which this country was built. And historically, Congress has passed laws that were consistent with those principles, and then the Supreme Court determined whether or not those laws were consistent with the original intent of the Constitution. So the Bible makes it clear in Genesis 1 and 2 that God created only two biological sexes, and so there are only two genders, male and female. And then at the end of Genesis chapter 2, marriage is defined as between a man and a woman, and that's it. And while we're not bound today by the Mosaic Law, it does give us the mind of God when it comes to morality that sex is only to be between a man and a woman, and it's equally clear that homosexual behavior is an abomination to him. And Jesus affirms Genesis 1 and 2 when uh, he was challenged concerning marriage and divorce. And then Paul in Romans chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians 6, he affirms that God's moral standards concerning sex haven't changed either. And this is what has conservative evangelicals concerned, that that this Supreme Court ruling will affect our God-given freedoms as protected by the First Amendment. Very interesting conversation thus far, David, on this particular subject. And so therefore then, let's uh, wrap up by talking about what this ruling might mean for churches and for ministries, and some things that we can do that may help protect us as we go forward. Well, we've talked about this before, even going back to 2015 when the Supreme Court ruled that states couldn't deny marriage licenses to same-sex couples and how this would affect churches and schools and ministries and even Christian businesses. Now, I think that churches have the most protection under the First Amendment, but doctrinal statements and constitutions of those churches need to be very clear in matters related to human sexuality. And unfortunately, churches, especially smaller ones, don't always keep up 
today. And of course, no one even thought about these things 20 or 30 years ago. But my greater concern is for ministries, especially schools and those that offer goods and services to the general public. You know, I think the day is coming, if we're not already there, when there won't be First Amendment protections, at least across the board and and not consistently. For example, will schools be forced to hire teachers who affirm same-sex relationships or transgenderism? And I think that Christian businesses are even more vulnerable. So uh, I think clear statements need to be incorporated into bylaws and position papers need to be written, and it may even be good to refer to the First Amendment and appeal to that in whatever is, is stated. You know, society is in a downward spiral, and things are only going to get worse for believers as time goes by. And, and I think, Jimmy, that even teaching the Word of God is going to come under attack, especially as we look at what's been happening in society. Even over the past three or four weeks, as we've seen these riots and the taking down of statues and, and just all kinds of things where society is being purged of things that we would consider connected to Christian values. Not that these statues are connected to that, but these are things that we need to be concerned about. I think this has been a very important discussion, even though we've been focusing on a Supreme Court ruling that may have a major impact on Christianity, Christians, the ministries and churches, and individual ministries as well. David, thank you for your research and your insight into this discussion. Appreciate it. And we'll have another conversation along a similar issued line next week. So hoping to be ready to do that with you then. I'll look forward to it, Jimmy. Thanks. We're going to have to take a break. And once we have... I'll rehearse for you what my broadcast partners brought to the broadcast table telling us about the current events unfolding in our world, and then I'll give you my prophetic perspective on those issues. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. 
This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Our broadcast partners have been excellent in their reports to us from all across the world, giving us the details on current events, helping us to see how the end-time prophetic scenario from God's Word is coming much better into focus. In a moment, I'll give you my prophetic perspective on each of these reports. But first, if you missed any of the reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There, go to PTRN. That will take you to a location on the website where you can listen to any and or all of the broadcast partner reports They will be of great importance to you as you study the Word of God and endeavor to determine how close we may well be to the next event, which is our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ to shout out of the heavenlies and call us up to be with him forever at the rapture of the church. I want you to hear these reports. I want your friends to hear these reports and family members and tell them how they can get to the location where they can hear these very important reports. Now, having said that, let me get to my prophetic perspective on each of these reports. Ken Timmerman, located in southern France, gave us the information about the activities militarily going on at the border of China and India. You've got to remember that China and India are the two most populated countries in the entire world. And they are mentioned in Bible prophecy. If you go to Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12, you'll see a phrase, kings of the east. Now that would include India and China. At the end of the tribulation period, the last half, those last three and a half years, you're going to see that the focus will change from Europe and the Middle East and it will go to the Far East because China and India and the other kings of the East will join forces with the Antichrist. That's Revelation chapter 18. They do this to control the world economically and militarily, and of course the only way that people will be able to eat in that last three and a half years is the fact that they have the mark of the beast Therefore, they are able to buy and sell the food they will need. By the way, the only people that will be alive, because at the midway point of a tribulation, half of the Earth's population will have been killed. That leaves, of course, China and India. David Dolan gave us his Middle East News update, a key report each week here on Prophecy Today. He talked about Jews by the thousands who are immigrating to Israel. The term that is used in Hebrew in Israel is they are making aliyah. In other words, technically, that term means going up 
to Jerusalem. But they have applied it now for Jews immigrating from across the world into the land that God has promised to give the Jewish people, and that is exactly what the Scripture said will happen at the end times. Ezekiel chapter 34, if you've never read it, you need to go to Ezekiel 34. I believe it starts there in verse 12. And for the next verses, 18 times the Lord is going to say, I will. I will find my people, the Jewish people, where they have been scattered all across the world. I will bring them into the land that I have promised to give them. I will feed them like a good shepherd feeds his flock. It's key to understand what the Lord said will be fulfilled. Chapter 37 talks about the dry bones, bones coming together, the flesh on the bones, the breath of life being breathed into them, and they stand up like a mighty army. The bones coming together, the regathering of the Jews from the four corners of the earth, the flesh on the bones, the restoration of a Jewish state, and of course the breath of life breathed into these flesh-covered bones, the re-energizing of the Jewish state standing up like a mighty army. Winky Madad, he gives us great background from his Jewish background, and we talked with Winky about annexation which could put the Palestinian Authority in control of the Jewish heritage sites. Thus, they could, the Palestinians, destroy Jewish history in the land that God has promised to give them. You must remember God has given Judea and Samaria to the Jews, that's Ezekiel 36, and the Palestinians, the Edomites of biblical times, will rise up and kill the Jews and then steal their land. That's the book of Ezekiel, chapter 35. John Rue gives us a report on the European Union, another key location in our world, a region that will play a very major role in the end times. He talked about the European Union's desire to go global in their role in the world's future. Interestingly, Angela Merkel, Chancellor of Germany, said that's what she wants to see happening. Check out Daniel chapter 2, the ten toes, and Daniel chapter 7, the ten horns, that would be the European Union going global as the revived Roman Empire. Sam Rohr gave us his opinion about the latest Supreme Court decision on gay rights. He said it was legislation, not interpretation. Remember, human government was brought into existence so that God could have his will accomplished in this world. The decision that the Supreme Court made was anti-God's plan for the future. Check out Luke 17, where Jesus says, as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, and then Romans chapter 1, God has turned his back on America. That's exactly what David James and I were talking about as well, as we looked at the spiritual perspective on this recent Supreme Court decision. Supreme Court is to interpret the Constitution, not legislate laws for the United States. You know, the Bible talks about that. Revelation seventeen seventeen. he will use human government to ultimately accomplish his will. Well, I think if you've listened closely to my broadcast partners today, you can only come away with the reality that these current events are really setting the stage for the prophetic scenario that's found in the Bible. 
This is what we focus on here on Prophecy Today, looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy. And that said, the next event is the rapture, which actually could happen because of what we've said today. It could happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.